Jesus spent 40 days in the wilderness to pray and to rest before he began his public ministry. This year during Lent, join Pastor Hook to pray and rest as we learn about our calling to be a life-changing connection to Christ in our world. We are in episode 30, if you can believe it. So we're about 75% through these episodes of Life-Changing Connection. And we left off yesterday talking about uh, leadership and how the Bible talks about episkopos as a, as, a, as a leader and that we translate that as an overseer or whatever. I want to spend today a little bit more time on leadership because as I've mentioned yesterday and probably in other previous episodes, the church of the 21st century is going to have to involve a whole lot more people in the leadership of the church. It's no longer going to be acceptable to let uh, people not have leadership positions in the Christian church. We have to develop leadership in the church. We always have had to develop leadership in the church, but it's going to become even more critical in the future. A church that's going to survive into the 21st century must develop leadership and leadership principles. And so we're going to take a look at that today. We're going to look at what are some of the principles of leadership that Paul put together. And to do that, we're going to actually look at Paul's letter to Timothy. Timothy was a leader in the church, and Paul had uh, appointed Timothy to lead the church, the congregation, but Timothy was young. There were a few people that were not sure that Timothy was ready yet to lead a church. But Paul, I don't know if he found something in Timothy that he liked or if he just put Timothy in charge and said, no, you are going to start leading and you're going to learn how to be a leader. That leadership principles don't always... Leadership is learned. It's it's hard to... It's hard to just throw somebody in a leadership position and have them know immediately how they should act. No, leadership is something that a person has to be thrown into, and then they have to grow into it for a period of time. I was talking to one of the district, a retired district president happened to be in a conversation with him, and I said, a district president is a bishop. of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. It's a person in charge of several congregations. So our district president is in charge of congregations in California, Arizona, Nevada. There's about 350 congregations that he's the bishop of or or the district president of. So I was talking to somebody who is a retired district president. And I told him, I said, you know, it's unfortunate that with all my business experience, I still did not feel comfortable yet leading a church because there's just so much that goes on in a church. How do you even possibly know where to begin and how do you do that? And I said, I didn't really feel like I kind of understood a church until like I was at a, in the pastor of a church for about 10 years. He said, yeah, that's about right. He said, we when we get people out of seminary, we highly encourage them to not jump around from church to church, but really stay at their first congregation for about a period of 10 years. It's not the rest of the world. It's not the end of the world. But it just takes about 10 years before you really understand the complexity of a church, which is interesting because when I was an engineer, 
they assumed that after five years, you were a good engineer. And so you moved from kind of like an apprentice engineer to an, a regular engineer in about five years. And even that was pushing it. So, I mean, it does take time to learn, you know, principles of leadership, but anybody can learn them and anybody can be a leader and anybody can be thrown into that leadership mantle and then and then make mistakes and continue to grow and make mistakes and continue to grow. And finally, after about 10 years, the light begins to dawn. Uh, I've, been in the, I've been in this role now for, it's uh, 2021. And I was called to the congregation in, in 2017. I initially arrived in 2015, but then I had to go back and finish my last year's seminary. And so I officially got my seminary degree in 2017, that I was called back to Christ in Vale Church to run it. <clears throat> so I've been in this position now for what, 14 years? This summer will be 14 years. And like I said, it's it's only been in the last really few years that I've really, really come to understand and grasp the complexity of the job of leadership in a congregation. So it's not something that happens overnight. And so you have to have people in the pipeline both at seminary and pre-seminary and post-seminary, you have to have people in the pipeline that are learning different leadership skills because uh, a pastor is not something that just comes out of seminary. A, a pastor is somebody that takes 10 to 15 years to develop and grow. And then once you're in that role, oh my goodness, it is, uh, it's exciting and challenging all at the same time. And so I, I believe that... Um, that I am just now, I mean, here I am, what, in my late 50s, and I'm just now feeling like I'm in a, in a perfect position where I've got the age and the experience and the understanding of the role, and I still have some energy left to do uh, what God's called me to do at Christ Lutheran Vale. And so that's part of the reason why we are looking at this life-changing connection series is because I believe there is so much um, that God has called us to do at Christ Lutheran Vale. And we are, man, we are so situated. We have, we have the right facilities. We've got incredible people. We've got a growing community. We've got a little bit of a you know, seasoned leadership in the congregation. So it's, it's not like this is, um, that this is, uh, we, you know, starting from scratch by no means. We are, we are very, very well into, uh, the next phase. I, I kind of see this. I mean, we, there have been several phases of our congregation, but this is kind of like a phase. I don't know. It's a, it's a major phase. It, the word uh, epic comes to mind. And an epic is a is you come to an end of an epic and then you start a new epic or an era, right? This is the this is a new era at Christ of the Veil Church, beginning with this coming out of the pandemic to where God's going to lead us over the next ten to fifteen years. I have no idea. However long God continues to bless us and, and move us to do that, so um, so we are we are really 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 well situated, and part of that is going to be development of leaders at every level, and so we're just going to look and see what Paul says about leadership. There's there's three in Timothy, Paul uses three words. He uses bishop, he uses deacon. Um, and he uses elder, bishop, deacon, and elder. And there's not a whole lot of distinction between what each of those positions are. 
And um, and so that's that's kind of interesting that, that everybody who's gone into this and tried to figure out, okay, what's the qualifications for a bishop or a deacon or an elder? It's like, the, it's just all mixed. And so it's it's very, very challenging for a person to to figure out what those roles were when Paul developed those roles and, and how we should apply those roles today. So when I was in seminary, they conflated all these roles, the bishop, the elder, the deacon, and and molded them into one position, which they call the office of public ministry, which is the position that I hold. Um, because they did that, and that's been the position of the church for, for I don't know, quite a, quite a while, um, at least in Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. But other people have looked, more recently, other people have looked at these roles and positions and have wondered, I mean, there are some curiosities here, and we're going to get into that because I want to look at 1 Timothy 3, and this is where Paul's writing to Timothy, this pastor, this person in this in charge of this church, and he's saying, here's how I do it. And so he's giving his description of different people. The first one he gives a description of is a bishop. Let's just take a look at that. Paul says in chapter 3, verse 1, here's a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer or a bishop desires a noble task. This in Greek is the kalu ergu, the good task or the good work. Um, So anybody who's doing work in the church is doing a noble task, is doing a kalu ergu. That's a little Greek for you. I've always liked that. I don't know it, but anyways, desires a noble task. Verse two, now the overseer or the bishop is to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Just just a couple thoughts here before we read on. Read on. Faithful to his wife. Um, obviously, that that there that he's that he's um, faithful, right? Like if he makes a promise or a pledge that he that he lives through on that promise, that he's temperate, that he's self-controlled, that he's respectable, that he's hospitable, he's able to teach others. He's not given to drunkenness. And so this is a person who basically has control over their life, that they that they understand their strengths, they understand their weaknesses, that the, they've learned to work through the issues of their life, and now they live pretty much a stable life. They're not violent, they're gentle, they're not quarrelsome, they're not a lover of money. And these are not characteristics that come to a person immediately after graduating from <laughs> from uh, from college, right? Because when like when I graduated from college, uh, I was heavily involved in my church, but boy, I felt that you know now that I have this engineering degree, I, I you know I was um, you know I should I should have everything under control. And my life wasn't under control because then you get married and you have children and, and that throws stress at you that you can't possibly imagine. Um, well, if you've been a parent, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, there, you just grow, you stretch and grow. And when you first hold that first child in your hands and you look at it and you say, what, Lord, are you? T- what am I doing with this child? I am not capable at all of, of raising this child. 
which is why mom and dad are there to say it's okay. (laughs) You'll work it out. You'll figure it out. Let's just get the first things first. Let's make sure they're eating and pooping and that we've changed the diapers and everything's clean, you know, and all that sort of thing. And, and, um, and then you'll grow into this position. It's been so wonderful to see my daughter, my oldest, with her second child. Her first child, she was freaked out, right? She wanted to be, well, she is the perfect parent. <laughs> she, I hope you're not listening. <laughs> you're a very good parent, all right. But she's, she's really, really good. <laughs> and, um, and she did not learn that from us. Uh, she's just very, very good. Anyway, so um, and um, so the first child is always the experiment, right? And then the second child comes along and it's like now you're applying those principles and the third and the fourth children come along and it's like, eh, whatever. Whatever you want to do is fine. <laughs> you, just, you just do your own thing. You're going to raise yourself. It's fine. But anyway, but that's, but parenting takes time. And the same thing happens with people who are going to be overseers. You can't, it's difficult. You, it takes time to learn the skills to be in that position as a bishop. And so um, you must manage your own family well, see that your children obey. Uh, this is verse four. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. And he must do so in a manner worthy of full respect. And then verse 5 is interesting. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders. Oh, he must, all have, uh, he must have also a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So, this is, this is what I learned from, from Paul's letter to Timothy here, is that, first of all, he only says one bishop. Like, he's like, if you're going to call a bishop, and then later he talks about elders, and he talks about deacons in the plural, but bishop he always talks about in the singular. So there's not like many bishops, and it's an overseer, and it's like a military general in the Greek language. And so a bishop... In my mind, in Timothy, a bishop is a leader. And and a church can have more than one leader because you might have more than one lanes that you need somebody to lead in. And these could be paid leadership or it could be volunteer leadership or it could be a combination of both. It depends on the size of the leadership task and the amount of time it takes and whether or not that takes so much time that now you almost becomes a full-time job or if it's just a part-time job that can be managed while you have other work going on. And that's something that a church has to wrestle with and struggle with. But it, but the bottom line is, is that somebody who is in a leadership position, it, Paul typically talks about this person in the singular. And then listen to what he says in verse 5. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? So a leader, a bishop, an overseer is somebody who has management, leadership, responsibilities in the church. That's what a leader is. So I know we talk about bishops in the hierarchical, ecclesiastical authority of the church that's been handed down for years and years and years, and that we think of bishops as somebody like the district president of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod or bishops in the Roman Catholic Church that run a diocese. But in its root form here from Timothy, 
To me, when I hear the word bishop, I hear the word leader. Somebody who has learned over time how to manage their own life, and they also manage the affairs in some particular area in the church. He can't be a recent convert, which is really, really interesting because I don't know how recent a convert we're talking about, but I have mentioned this many times, that if I had been put into the role of a pastor right when I was in my 20s, I would have destroyed a church. I don't think I would have destroyed. God would probably have placed me in a church that was very... I mean, as a, as a pastor grows in this role, he also needs a church surrounding him, you know, coming to him and saying, you're not doing this right, so here's how you should be doing it. And there would have been a lot of discussions like that when I was, when I, was I mean, good, valuable discussions like that when I first got into that leadership position. All right, so that's, that's a leader. Uh, th- those are kind of the qualifications that Paul has for leader. Then, then we're going to go uh, to what he says about deacons. So let's just take a look at deacons. So before we get into from First Timothy, the 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 role of deacon, although it's not called a deacon in Acts, in Acts chapter six, you have the apostles who are the leaders, who are doing things in the church, and they're also giving out food to the widows. And it becomes, there's so many widows and so few pastors, so few apostles that they then appoint people from within the congregation to help with the assistance of the doing of the duties of the church. We later call those people deacons, even though they're not called deacons in Acts chapter 6. They're definitely deacons. You just look at kind of the qualifications of a deacon and you think Acts chapter 6. These are men who have good character, who are willing to step in and help out. All right, so that's that's a deacon. Let's see what it is in 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning of verse 8. In the same way, deacons are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, and not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested, and then if there's nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. So there's some qualification that, okay, you're going to be learning these things. And if you kind of get tested and it, you know, people see, yeah, your faith is sincere, your life is sincere, you want to learn and grow in this position, then let them serve as deacons. Uh, what, is, what is it here? Verse 12, a deacon must be faithful to his wife and must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent understanding and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. So now you have this idea of a deacon who, and and there's deacons. So there's more than one deacon. There's one bishop, but there's more than one deacons. All right. And the deacons are, have a lot of the same qualifications as the bishops. You know, they must be faithful to their wife. They must not drink too much wine. They, they don't pursue dishonest gain. You know, they're not, they're not lovers of money. You know, they have to manage their family well, and they have to be tested. So, so now there's this other position called deacons that, that, that Paul talks about. Um, and then later on in 1 Timothy, he also talks about another position. And this one is called the elder. And we're going to look at the elder. And the elder, so this is in verse 17 of chapter 
Oh, well, I think this is later on. This is chapter four. I didn't update the title here. I think it's chapter four or five, verse 17. The elders who direct the affairs of the church are, the elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Just thought that was interesting, that an elder is somebody who preaches and teaches. He doesn't necessarily list that as the overseer or the or the deacon, but the elder is somebody who preaches and teaches. For Scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that others may take warning. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. So Paul even says, don't pick your best friend. Pick the people who are really, really mature. So you have, and these mature people are teaching and preaching. And and you can just get the sense, and when a church has an elder, it is people who are all obviously elderly, right? These are people who have lived through and gone through some of the situations of life. They've, um, they are not young to the faith by by any means. They are they are very mature. They're elder. They teach. They preach. They they serve. You know, as as an incredible leadership in in the position in the church. And if somebody has something against them, if it's just one person. You know, take the word of the elder over the person, you know, that's accusing. But if it's more than one, if it's two or three that come forward, then it really probably is a problem. It needs to be addressed and needs to be addressed publicly in the congregation because elders have a different role in a congregation. They're mature. They're respected. Um, We really, really listen to their teachings and their preaching well because they're respected people. So... What does that mean for us? I mean, this is um, something that uh, that I've just thought about for a long time because uh, <laughs> it's interesting I say that because I think about a lot of things a long time. That's my personality. But, but we have this role. We have this... Um, we have this diagram of making disciples in our congregation. I'm sure you've seen it before, but it's basically the discipleship life, life cycle. We plant, we sprout, we grow, and we bear fruit, and in that fruit is planting. And the reason why I bring that up is that maybe the reason why it is so difficult to pinpoint these positions is maybe it has nothing to do with what they're doing, but at what stage of their growth they're doing it. So if you think about a leader, a bishop, an overseer, that's person who has over time learned how, you know, how a church runs or how a particular ministry of a church runs, and now they're put into that position. Or maybe they're fresh out of seminary and they're thrown into that position to learn that to learn leadership skills. And so a leader, a, a bishop, in my opinion, a leader, a bishop is somebody who is just very you know, thrown into the thrown into the position to grow and, and to learn how to be a leader. The deacons are kind of coming along beside him. There's more than one deacon. And these are people 
that are not necessarily in charge of a particular ministry, but they're involved in a particular ministry, just like the deacons in Acts 6, they weren't in, you know, they, they were helping out the apostles in the distribution of the food, but they took direction from the apostles, right? So they were, they were kind of workers. They were, they were, um, you know, labor, uh, the, the, but not just labor. They were learning labor because then from your deacons, you would elevate some people into a overseer or a bishop position. And then you have this position of elders, which are people that have kind of they're mature. They've probably been deacons. They've probably been uh, leaders of a particular ministry. And now they are enjoying the fruits of elderly and age, and they're just teaching people the wisdom of the ages from their mouth because they, uh, they understand life at a much deeper level because they've probably had children. They probably had grandchildren. They're, they're just, they're these wonderful, rich people who have so much experience, life experience and knowledge and wisdom about things that are just so important. We've got some great people like this in our congregation, people that when they started this congregation, Christenville 15 years ago, even at that point, they were very wise. They'd kind of seen life from a full picture. And so when they set out the mission and the vision, you know, the original thoughts about Christ within Vale Church. I remember things like we want to build a church that's not going to fall apart after 10 years because of, you know, various things. We want a church that's going to last and endure and be sustainable. Why? Because some of these people had seen their own churches in their own communities just, you know, over time just dissipate and fall apart. And they didn't want to see that happen to this church. And so they were very willing, almost insisting that our church, when we started, do things a bit different than than a normal church. You know, I wouldn't say progressive, but being, um, you know, thinking about things that that could be more effective in reaching our community, and to be always willing to try new things and do new things, so that so that the church would endure. And this did not come from me. This came from the original elder leadership of the congregation that says we don't want a church that's going to fall apart you know in 10 years or 20 years we want a church that's going to endure and sustain and so when i look at first timothy and the qualifications for bishop elder and deacon kind of what i see is the bishop is a as a leader a strong leader who is learning leadership skills an mba in churchology and the deacons are people who, uh, for whatever reason, maybe they've been or whatever you know, been leaders, and now they're stepping back from leadership, or they're, you know, or they're just new into the church and they want to serve and they don't know how to serve, and so they're they're learning how to serve uh, in humility. They're trying to organize their life. They're trying to get organized their church work and all that. I could see that position being um, the head of the household, basically in the Old Testament tradition where, uh, you know, the head of the household would go to the synagogue and learn, and they would come back and teach the family, you know, the faith. And so they're learning how to, to serve. That's almost like a bishop, though. So I, I guess I'm, I'm, you know, there's just this role in the church of people who are serving, and I see those as deacons, right? And um, they're learning while they're serving. They're all, you know, all these positions have humility and grace and love and desire to learn. But at some point, 
that group might elevate another person to say, okay, we need somebody to lead us in this task. And so we're elevating you. We're calling you to be a leader in this task and you're going to lead and you may do it well and you may do it horribly, but over time you're going to learn how to learn, learn how to lead well, not only in the church, but in your family and, um, you know, in other organizations, in your work, in your, in your job, in school and volunteer, other volunteer opportunities or whatever, you're going to lead and you're going to take that leadership position and then the elders are just those people who also might serve as deacons. They almost might also might be bishops, but they're just people who share their wisdom and their knowledge of the ages to people around us. And I believe for our church, we need these kind of three positions also. We need leaders who are learning how to lead. We need you know deacons who are just there willing to, to serve and to do whatever the leaders tell them. And, and they're learning also and they're they're doing it in their houses, in their works, in their community. And then we need um, just elderly elders, people who are who have experienced life from a, a, a looking back historical standpoint and seeing the lessons that they've learned and how Christ has worked in their life and their preaching and teaching that. Um, so I think we'll end it there and... Uh, I think we'll end it there. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you for uh, workers in your church uh, at all levels, whether young or old or new or experienced. Um, we thank you for the ability to give us so much freedom to do your work here on earth. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.